You're listening to St. Pius X Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. This weekend we continue our series on discipleship and predispositions for discipleship. And as we move forward, take a little break for the next couple of weeks, uh, the deacons will preach next weekend and then we'll have a missionary priest coming in uh, the weekend after. One of two times a year we have somebody come in to give us an opportunity uh, to give. But for this weekend we're going to wrap things up a little bit. And as I'm, I like to do, just to remind ourselves of, of where we've been in the sense of the last few weeks and then also the weeks between Christmas and Lent. And between Christmas and Lent, we established how much God loves us, the care for the elect, and we are the elect. And all of history tells us that God has been relentlessly pursuing us ever since the fall, ever since sin entered the world, and when sin entered the world, suffering and death. And we are born with that sin, so to speak. It's called original sin, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But we are the crown jewel of God's creation. He delights in us. He wants us to be as he created us, without death, without suffering, without any of the causes or the effects of original sin. And that's the way he created us. But we did it to ourselves by our sin. And scripture tells us anybody who says they've not sinned is a liar. And so we know that we have been part of this cycle and God wants to break us out of it. He wants to break us out of it. And so we are capable of receiving God. He made us in his image and likeness. That's called Kapox Dei. We're the only creature on earth that's capable of receiving God. I like to explain it to the kids because sometimes, you know, the animal rights stuff gets a little crazy, you know, in the sense of equality. But when we drive by the church, we don't see dogs making the sign of the cross in the back of a truck, huh? Or if an animal comes into the church, they don't genuflect before it runs around somewhere. No. We have the ability to be in relationship with God and indeed to live in his image and likeness. And so we think of original sin and its effect on us, and they're generally considered three effects. It has darkened our intellect. We don't see things as clearly as we should, don't make judgments as well as we should, there's a weakening of our will. In other words, the will to do what God wants us to do, the will to do that's truly good, and then to see what's truly good, it's weakened. And then there's a disunity, a diminished unity of body and soul. There's not that lack of integrity that we once had. And what we see in God's work in us is baptism being a rescue mission. God is basically having a rescue mission for human beings on earth. And he does that in baptism. We hear about that in our second reading, bringing us to life. Baptism bringing us to life instead of death. And in the rescue mission, I like to liken it to a lifeguard and someone who's drowning, someone who's underwater. I hope none of you have ever been in that position. I got in big trouble when I was a kid because I went out way too far way beyond what my parents told me, I couldn't get back in. I did have a raft I was kind of holding on to, but the lifeguard had to come get me. But any of you who have been maybe in trouble or have been training as a lifeguard, there are two things. First of all, the lifeguard is coming out to get us because we put ourselves in trouble. We're the ones in trouble. We need the help. 
You have to remember that. The lifeguard comes out, and usually, if we need the help, we know that we're in trouble. We know that we're in trouble. And so the lifeguard comes, and we are freaked out. The person who is having trouble swimming, they are freaked out, whether it's breathing, whether it's danger. They're scared, fear. And so the lifeguard comes, and the lifeguard is giving them specific instructions. Lay on your back, which is very counterintuitive because you want your head to be above water, right? So they're giving you counterintuitive instructions, but you got to trust them. you got to trust them. The two biggest things a lifeguard has to fight is the lack of trust and the fear of the person being saved. And that's the same way God with us. And God spent all that time in salvation history, and we look at our first reading today. You know, what if there are 50? Would you say yes? 45, yes. 40, yes. 30, yes. 20, yes. 10, yes. It goes on. Five, yes. God is going to take us and save us no matter how many or no matter how depraved we may become. He's there to save us. We can look at that individually or we can look at it collectively. That's what he does. And that's the book of Genesis, by the way. That goes way, way back. And so we think of this rescue mission that God is on, this rescue mission for us. And we have to say, okay, what's our response? What's our response? Well, in baptism, we're given the grace to cooperate. And that's what the swimming victim has to do with the lifeguard, is to cooperate, that we have to do what he or she says, you know, that we have to not be afraid of what they're going to do because what they want to do is get us back to shore, get us back to safety. We have to trust and we have to be not afraid, the most used term in sacred scripture. But we are free. See, that's the thing. And this is where the lifeguard analogy kind of breaks down a little bit because a lifeguard could, could force us in. I was a kid. The lifeguard was bigger than I was. He could, but God won't. God won't. He knows that in this case, we're talking about a relationship of love. And love is a very special relationship. It's seeking the good of another. And you can't have love without freedom, which means there has to be an act of the will, a commitment. And we went over this a few weeks back, a commitment to doing what needs to be done, in this case, to get back to shore. And that act of the will has to be repeated, has to be continued. The relationship has to be continued to be built in trust. The relationship has to continue to grow so we can do more, building block upon building block. Who knows, at some point on the way to shore, we may be able to actually assist the lifeguard in propulsion. Maybe he says, hey, kick here, it'll make my job a little easier. But we first have to learn And we first have to trust and we have to do things that are counterintuitive, both from our culture and also our internal fears. What's in our best interest? Because remember, our intellect is dim. We don't know what the good is. And that will being weakened is we think we know, but we're not going to go the long way. We're going to go the short way, the way we think, not the way God teaches or his church teaches. And on the way in, there can be many dangers, riptide. We can't see. The lifeguard knows about it. The lifeguard's going to direct us to the way to shore, the best way, although it may seem like the long way. We ourselves have to make that commitment, that act of the will, and that's all we can do. Everything else comes from the lifeguard. Everything else comes from him or her. And we ourselves have to cooperate with it and to make sure that we are willing to go along for the route because we see that hope of getting to shore safely and trusting that 
he or she will get us there. And so as we think of our journey of discipleship, if we don't have trust, if we do have fear, that is keeping us from the peace that God can give. That is keeping us from the ability to be saved. That is basically making God's job harder. Now, he's going to give us all the grace at every time in our life, but it sure is nice if you can just kind of go along for the ride and let him take you where you need to be. And we pray that as we kind of, like I said, wrap this up, that our persistence, our fortitude, and that's really what our gospel reading is about today, our persistence, our fortitude, our continuous act of the will to follow Christ that doesn't waver. That's what discipleship, full discipleship requires. And that's what we are called to do, to follow Christ totally and completely in the lives that we lead. But it begins with the little things. And then we are able to have the firm resolve, hopefully, as trust is continued to be built. And we are able to continue to move forward towards eternal life. And that's where our joy is. And that was the second homily we started, I think, four weeks ago. Our joy is rooted in salvation. It's not rooted in the world. If we rely on earthly things as the source of our joy, we will be sorely disappointed in the end, and maybe even at the beginning. But if our joy is rooted in the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, then what we spoke about last weekend, suffering, becomes something wholly different. Suffering becomes an opportunity to grow closer to Christ and to still have the joy that we need to have, knowing that at the end is the great joy of the resurrection. All of these things play together. The question goes back to humility, which is kind of where we started, huh? And if we look at our, our Father today, at the beginning of the gospel reading, it's all about the three things that we had mentioned. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. You are the Holy One. I'm not. I'm ungodly. I am not God. Give us each day our daily bread because we're not capable of it. We need the help because we are helpless. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Why we have to figure out, forgive our sins? Because we are sinners. And we have to remember that in our humility. And then we are asked to imitate God. For we ourselves forgive everyone in debt to us. We are merciful because God is merciful. And by doing that in charity, we become more and more in tune with his image and likeness in ourselves. And then we pray, said, not to be subject to the test. Make life as easy on us as we can. I mentioned that last week. We're suffering. I want just enough suffering to get me to purgatory. And that's it. No more. Now, I may be in trouble with that, by the way, because I don't know what purgatory is like. But, but we think of these prayers, how full that prayer is, praying that we have the humility that we need in order to accept the help from the lifeguard, the rescuer, and then to cooperate with them all the way to the shore, and then see the goodness and the joy that will come once we are at home safe, at home safe with him. And so, as I said, the next couple of weeks, we'll take some time off. I think you guys have probably had enough of this, but we'll start getting a little more specific in our thoughts of discipleship and where we need to go in Luke's gospel. Over the next couple of weeks, as I mentioned, uh, we'll have our deacons and then our missionary priest. But let's reflect on these things. Where are we in our humility 
Where are we in our cooperation? Where are we in our joy and that top priority of getting to heaven because of the lives we live here on earth?